sitting down here with Alex Kaminsky, director of bands here at Vandercook College of Music. How are you, Alex? Uh, doing great. Good. Thanks for having me out on this um, hot and rainy day out here in lovely Illinois. Yeah, actually it was sunny up until today, so I don't know what happened. Until I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, we'll get right into it here. I, I appreciate you taking some time out to, to sit down here. Um, but as we kind of typically start the show, if you wouldn't mind doing a kind of brief uh, musical upbringing career path, and um, we can we can go right into the rest of it. Sure. Well, I was born and raised in Miami. I've lived in Florida all my life, with the exception of when I did my uh, graduate work at uh, Indiana University. I'm a clarinet player, uh, went through junior high school, started in seventh grade, uh, played all the way through high school, was um, my high school drum major, and uh, went straight into uh, the University of Florida, majored in music ed, kind of knew I wanted to do that. Um, pretty much uh, when I was a senior in high school, I sort of made that conscious decision. In fact, I remember when my band director came up to me. Um, in the second semester of my senior year and said, uh, Alex, what do you plan to do with your life? And I said, uh, Mr. Baker, I'd like to be a band director. He said, you made a good choice. Good job. <laughs> and um, actually, I never forgot that. And it sort of gave me a little more uh, drive to to be like him. My Is he still around? Director. No, he passed away several years ago. Uh, but he kept tabs on me and uh, I was super excited one year when he came out to um, one of our assessments because he didn't live, live close by to where I was teaching. Okay. But there was a, a point where uh, he and his wife actually drove uh, a few hours to come hear my band. and wow. That was a little nerve-wracking. But Was that a surprise that he showed up? Uh, actually, he had told me that week. Oh, um, God. Okay. Yeah. So you had to live with that for a week. Uh, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, because the, the state assessments in Florida are in different regions, north, central, south. And so he saw that I was in the lineup for central, and he could drive there. And uh, so I was like, oh, cool. And um, and then I was th thinking, oh, no. <laughs> but um, but it was awesome. He came in and, and at that time uh, there was sight reading at the state uh, level. That was even more nerve wracking to have your high school band directors, you know, sit there and watch you, you know, try to sight read with your band. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, now he's going to know if I really know what I'm doing. <laughs> You know, so, but it turned out okay. Yeah, it all it turned out really well, and and it was uh, a, a, an experience I'll never forget to have him there. Yeah, yeah. So from there we go to maybe a little bit of your career path. Then sure. Well, I wanted to be a high school band director when I graduated, as most college music ed majors want to be. And um, so I applied at a few places. I wanted to go back to Florida after finishing my master's. I did go straight into my master's after doing my undergrad. Um, and as I interviewed, uh, I came across a situation that was a junior-senior high um, position in Cocoa Beach, Florida. I don't know if you remember um, the show I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of where... You know, this was located and it was, uh, you know, right there on the beach. And um, I thought it was great experience to, you know, teach beginners. 
I have a tremendous amount of respect for middle school band directors. Um, you know, just starting the kids from opening the case to this is how you hold it, this is how you put the read on, etc. And um, and so I went ahead and accepted that position, and it was one of those places where anything I did was going to make it better. There were only three kids signed up for beginning band at the middle school. And the neighboring uh, high school to which this middle school fed uh, had 16 kids enrolled in the in the high school band. And um, so uh, it was just a great experience to build a program. And we went from 16 in the high school band to um, pretty much by the third or fourth year, we had like 80 kids. And um, it, it was just it was just great. And that program, they were doing uh, grade five music by the time I, I finished there. I taught there for six years. And then basically... Um, you know, doors opened as people saw what I was doing. And I went to a, a kind of a country uh, school called Auburndale High School just outside of um, Lakeland. I was there for five years and then moved on to Lincoln High School in Tallahassee, which was really nice because it was right down the road from Florida State University. And so that was a fantastic resource. Um, I was there for about seven years and it was the first band uh, that I took to the Midwest Clinic. Uh, and that was in 2005. And um, after I'd uh, done everything uh, that I felt I could uh, do there, and there was another door that opened, I went to Buholtz High School in Gainesville, which was yet near another uh, large university, the University of Florida. Uh, And that band, I was able to um, take to the Midwest Clinic twice in 2009 and 2014. and I was going to pretty much finish out there, and then this um, final opportunity opened up at Stoneman Douglas. And one of the reasons that I – there were really two reasons that I went there. One was um, because the pool of students uh, was over 3,000. And um, and the schools I had taught at previously um, were about 1,000 less in enrollment. And uh, one of the things that I – Uh, encountered in those previous programs was, you know, when you have a limited pool to draw from, well, that's going to kind of limit the size of the program that you have. And I always aspired to have, you know, the largest possible program to be able to influence as many kids as I can and and just be able to do more things uh, with more level bands in the in the program and so forth. Um, And the second reason was because I'm from Miami. And so it was nice to be, you know, in the northern part of Broward County, which was, you know, really close to Miami. Uh, so it was kind of a little closer to home. And so that's sort of where I finished out, you know, and this past year was year 30. And um, I was really anticipating uh, retiring there and, and I'm done. Yeah, you yeah. know, I was I was going to probably go on another six to eight years at Stillman Douglas. And then Vandercook came knocking on the door. Okay. Yep. Could we try to maybe dissect and unpack a few things that not that the Midwest Clinic is the end-all, be-all, the success, right? Mm-hmm. But can we maybe talk about the road to Midwest the first time? And then were there any differences in the road to Midwest the second time, third time, fourth? Right, you know, right. Maybe some things you learned. And 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 we can replace Midwest with something else. Either. Sure, The road right. to recruitment, the road to a, a successful concert, the road mm-hmm. to programming, for mm-hmm. example. Well, um, you know, true that the Midwest Clinic isn't necessarily the be-all, end-all, but, um, but certainly it is uh, a point of arrival um, for a lot of us band directors just because um, the – uh, competition to get in is so stringent, you know, and the, and the level of performance. I remember the first time I went to the Midwest Clinic in 1995, I was just blown away by the level of performance uh, by the high schools that I heard. 
Um, but along the way, I also, you know, had my bands uh, participate in the Music for All uh, National Concert Band Festival, which was a fantastic event. Um, you know, we did some uh, CBDNA NBA uh, division conferences and, you know, other concert invitationals, etc. So it was sort of a, a path of continuing to raise the level of excellence of, of the program. And really, the way I did that uh, was to uh, stress and work on fundamentals on a daily basis. Okay. And it's interesting, I was just talking to the grad band here at uh, Vandercook, and I, I told them, I said, I found myself doing more fundamental work and teaching in these last five years than I did even earlier in my career. Mm. It's like the more I spent time on fundamentals, the stronger my bands got. Okay, And so I, I really uh, honed in on that and the results sort of speak for themselves. How so? So what... Um what fundamentals specifically are we are we talking about? Right. Well, um, I mean, right from breathing, you okay. know, and I, I really started focusing on uh, a regimen of breathing techniques. I actually use um, PVC pipe, like little uh, half inch coupling, um, and I use balloons. And I did this having been a high school band director. You have marching band right at the beginning of the school year, and you have band camp. And so I really used the band camp to teach fundamentals to the entire band program. And the cool thing about marching band is that you have the older kids who are mentors to the younger kids. And so they sort of, you know, help them along providing a model of this is how to breathe. This is the type of tone you want to produce, et cetera. So we would start uh, in band camp with the the breathing, the PVC pipe, the balloons, really know how to use that airstream. And then we did, you know, basically a lot of long tones, um, buzzing with the brass. And I did this on a daily basis. Um, and then we would move into lip slurs and, and scale work, uh, for dexterity in the woodwinds. Um, and, uh, then we would move into like some chordal, uh, type warmups, some articulation exercises. Um, you know, I taught privately for my first six years uh, of being a band director. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a clarinetist and my degree at IU was in clarinet performance. Okay. And so really what I ended up doing and did more and more was taught my band as if it was a large private lesson. And I am big on having students play by themselves. And I use that as sort of a masterclass. You know, so when when I'm, for example, focusing on trying to improve the clarinet tone, well, I'll have my principal player play. OK, play an open G and hold it. And and then I'll have the next person play and I'll, I'll tell them, try to match that tone. But specifically, I'll te- I tell them first match the volume, which is the airstream, and then uh, match the tone quality and then match the pitch. I call it BBI, balance, okay. blend, intonation. Well, and, and I'll tell you where, where I really started um, pushing fundamentals more is after I took a trip to Japan in okay. 2001 with an American contingent. And uh, we went into elementary band classrooms, um, junior high band classrooms, and, and high school band classrooms. And the one constant was essentially that they are, they emphasize cloning each other as far as the approach to the instrument. Of course, there, you know, they're all playing on Yamaha, this, that, and the other. And so that helps when you have matching instruments. But 
the the one thing that that I noticed was um, they they really emphasize the importance of of copying and cloning each other to produce a a concept of tone within the section and then across sections that led to the sonority that a lot of us have heard in these Japanese mm-hmm. bands. Um, you know, I, th- I think anybody that listens to it, you know, one of the Japanese bands, um, you know, listens and 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 you're like amazed at at the the sound and the the pristine intonation that yeah, they play pipe with organ sound exactly you know. pipe organ um and i saw when i first came in here to the winds uh training thing i don't know if you've gone through all those or yeah yeah well that's the harmony you know. director yeah and um and i call that my secret weapon okay you know and it's something that i try to share with with directors as they you know come to me and certainly i'm going to introduce that to the students here at vandercook is how to use the harmony director to really uh, raise the level, especially of pitch awareness. Okay. And and I'm big into justified tuning and 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 so forth. So um, so all these fundamental things, you know, the the bottom line is when the individual student is playing with the right concept of sound, you know, and then that's um, uniform across a section. And then, and then you you combine that with the rest of the band. Well, it's going to affect the the band sound, you know. And you're going to be able to elicit a sonority that you otherwise would not be able to um, elicit. Another thing I told the grad band kids or kids, <laughs> the, the grad band band directors. I apologize if they're listening. Um, is is that I I like to peel off the band-aid you know i listen into an ensemble i do a lot of judging and so i'm kind of used to listening into an ensemble and and a lot of us band directors myself included are afraid to peel off layers to hear what's really in there uh because it's not always pretty uh but i like to peel off the band-aid and and find you know where the discrepancies are correct them and then put the band back together and it's always better you know when when you do that it's kind of i kind of liken it to a mechanic working under the hood of a car sure you know it's like you know you fix that spark plug all right you close the hood now the engine's purring you know why why do you think we're afraid of that because all of us know it will make the group better right but you know because that's that's me too there are a couple of things i'm like let's move on <laughs> yeah well i'll tell you for me for, for me because because i didn't do it as much earlier in my career as i did it in the latter part of my career and i think um one of the i mean i think there are several reasons but one might be okay i've encountered this problem how am i going to fix this and i don't know if i can fix it and if my kids see that i don't know how to fix it that may not be a good thing you know you you, you may shy away from it because you, I mean, that's one one sure. reason. Perhaps, like, I, you may not be able to fix it. Um, number two, we may just not want to know what's really in there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror. You know, it's like I really don't want to do this. And so, um, you know, so that and, and honestly, I mean, we we all have we're all kind of self conscious a little sure, bit. You know, sure. as, as far as that goes. So, so I think that may be a, a, another another reason. Okay. You know, that sort of thing. But but we have to put all that aside and just be willing to sort of dig in, roll our sleeves up and get a little dirty. And, it, you know, if we can't fix something on the spot, then, you know, I, I'm good with saying, you know what, 
we're not going to fix that today, mm-hmm. but we'll work on that later. And then I'll go and do a little research and figure out how am I going to fix that bassoon G that's really sharp, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. Because, I mean, I don't have all the answers, you know, necessarily right on the spot. Uh, but I've learned along the way by trial and error. Sure. So, so we have fundamentals with, with tone. You mentioned a little bit with intonation with the harmony director. And then, you know, intonation. Um, I mean, that's an issue I often have with my band just because it just takes a while. Do you have any uh, techniques or basically what your, your method was? Sure. Um, well, it all starts with one note, you know, and, and I'm, the, I'm the guy that's going to spend a long time on one note until it sounds at least, you know, pretty characteristic and and pretty centered okay and then we move on to the next note and etc but the one thing that i noticed that um young musicians struggle with is knowing the tendencies of their instruments so with the harmony director once they're able to produce a tone and center the pitches pretty well independently i we start doing some scale work and i actually play along with them uh on the scale with the harmony director so they can hear for example um when you listen to a saxophone player, the C sharp tends to be really flat, but then the note right above it, the D with six fingers down, tends to be really sharp. And and when you listen to young musicians, they don't always uh, compensate. You know, you really have to drop the jaw and and you know to lower the pitch, uh, etc. Just like you know, a low C on trumpet is a great note, and then C sharp is an awful note. Yeah. You know, you have to lengthen the the tubing, and so. Um, the, the first step is getting the students to hear what in tune sounds like, which is super basic, really, is eliminate, eliminate the waves. You know, that's why yeah. I just, I'm just like, do you hear waves? Yes. All right. Let's get rid of those waves, you know, and you go up or down and it's going to get better or worse. Um, and then the second thing is they need to learn the tendencies of the instrument. And specifically what, what I tell them is, um, I want you to, to know the tendencies of maybe the five worst notes on your instrument. Like me being a clarinet player, one of the worst notes is that middle B flat. It sounds, you know, the tone is not good, you know, et cetera. And so what's, what's the tendency on that note? Um, and then maybe, you know, high C on clarinet or, or whatever. So, the you know find those five notes that tend to be the most out of tune and be able to manipulate them when you're playing so that you can get them uh, more in tune. And more times than not, uh, intonation discrepancies tend to be on the sharp side. You know, I mean, if if I was to take a poll and ask band directors uh, or even kids in a high school band, when you're out of tune, most of the time, are you sharp or flat? It's probably going to be the answer is probably going to be sharp because that's the tendency. And of course, when the instruments warm up, you know, the pitch goes up. And so uh, so I, I think that awareness of this is what I need to do when I play the low C sharp on trumpet um, or, uh, you know, the, or the partial on on D or E on trumpet, which tends to be flat. You know, it's a whole other yeah. thing. What do you play? The trumpet. Player. The trumpet. Okay, yeah. so you, yeah, so I'm talking your lingo, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. And and again, you know, you know as a director what these tendencies are. So then you can sort of as as a band director who's teaching a private lesson in the midst of a rehearsal, you know, tell your trumpets, all right, trumpets, when you play this note, you're going to kick out the third valve slide. When you play this note, you're going to kick out the first valve slide, like the high A, you know, yeah. or whatever. And and just giving the students the the, the awareness of this is what you need to do. Um, 
I think that's that's another big step in the right direction as far right. as intonation goes. So we get some fundamentals going. We we treat the band lesson as as both tandem with here's here's ensemble rehearsal, here's private lessons at the same time, just public private lessons. Mm-hmm. Right. right, right. So when the music comes into that, then after and we can talk about programming, that'll be its own mm-hmm. chunk because that's that's something I always love to hear. Sure. But let's say we get the music uh, out in front of them, whatever your concert type cycle might be from here's the sight read to here's the performance. Could you tell me how that kind of looks in in relation to with the fundamentals that you've talked about and maybe a basic rehearsal setup? Sure. One thing that I talk to uh, students that I teach as far as uh, future educators is it's important to spend enough time on fundamentals so that when the students encounter the music, they're not encountering a lot of things that they haven't already encountered in their fundamental training. Okay. Okay. And so when I sight read with my bands, I try to start by sight reading literature that is within their wheelhouse, within their level of skill. You know, and of course, then you want to kind of raise that. So you want to challenge them a little bit. It's okay if there's, you know, something in there that's like maybe a little different, a little new, that sort of thing. But you don't want to do some very basic fundamentals and then have them sight read the Hindemith Symphony because you're going to get about two measures in and, you know, it's going to blow up. And so, um, so I I generally um, sight read uh, music that is within their level of capability, but I always, for assessment, will sight-read something that will stretch them also. So there will be a piece, that you could call it the project piece of okay. the assessment. Uh, for example, with my third band, uh, two years ago, the third band really made tremendous progress in the first semester, and so we ended up playing Cajun folk songs, uh, okay. Frank DeKelly. And um, I didn't know if they could do it. It was 5-4 in the second movement, you know, a lot of uh, unison melody in the, in the first movement, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we, we sort of kind of read through it, but in, in pieces. Uh, but I heard enough that I'm like, you know, I can teach the fundamentals that they need to get them to a point where they will be able to uh, perform a represent a representative performance of this of this work. Yeah. And um, and so that's generally what I did with with my bands that I always find that piece that, OK, this is going to be a project. Then I do like the middle piece would be, you know, kind of like the, the lyrical, you know, uh, piece that that helped. Uh, them grow as far as expression and, and musicianship in that in that that regard, and of course we all had to do a march. Sure. Um, but but that's pretty much the process, okay. and and then um, I I wasn't I, I wasn't the guy that said, well, if you can't read from start to finish, don't do the piece. Yeah. You know. Now I I wouldn't suggest that every piece on the program would be something that they can't <laughs> read from start to finish, or sure. you're not going to get it done. Um, but but the project piece, you know, many times was was like that. Great. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of bring it back to the B, you know, one of the initial questions was, here's the the road to success. You know, here's our process of, of fundamentals. Here's the um, a little bit of programming and rehearsal um, as well with that. You know, was was that something that you had to fine tune? I'm assuming as as you went along, or was that just, just something right out of the gate? We did. Uh, we we get the band in Midwest 2005, and then we do it again 2009. Or were there any changes that you can think of that you you maybe had to reflect upon that first path? You know, and, right. as he brought into the, the second or third. Well, it, it's it's funny because programming um, is half the battle. You know, I, I mean, the, the music is the curriculum, yeah. you know, that, that we teach. 
and I was and have always been a literature junkie. Like like when I was in college in Florida, I would go to as many at the time they called them contests, you know, or festivals um, as I could. And I would, you know, write in the program. Oh, that's that's a great piece and, and et cetera. So I had a pretty good working knowledge by the time I finished my graduate degree at Indiana. I had a pretty good working knowledge of literature and still I didn't pick literature really well when I started, <laughs> you know, Um May I add, don't do Variation Overture by Clifton Williams your first year. Okay. <laughs> that did not go well for me. And were these just things, did you pick things that you just knew, like from college or something? Or, well, you know, what was. What a great question. You, what, what I found, and I asked, actually asked some of the band directors that are on campus right now at Vandercook this same question. We, we have realized that many of us teach not necessarily how we were taught in those music ed courses in college, yeah. but we taught more like our high school band director taught. And when I think about it, that first year, like, and my junior high band director, he loved Clifton Williams, okay. right? And and I think Clifton Williams is awesome. I mean, we yeah, just yeah. did Symphonic Dance Number 3, you know, this, this past year with my second band, and so, you know, it's great. Um, and so I sort of programmed th- that way uh, at the very beginning, and, um, you know, by trial and error, you know, well, this works. So then I, I thought, OK, I need to kind of refocus on on the literature that I heard and and try to, you know, go with what I learned rather than what I was taught when I was in high school. Okay. And so gradually I was able to, to kind of figure out the, the right formula as far as selecting, um, you know, literature. And, uh, the, the you know, one of the things that that I was um, sort of. Um, plagued with at the very beginning is once I decided I wanted to do a piece, well, we have to do it. Yeah. And it would have been very wise of me to, to you know, after that first week of, of <laughs> working on that piece, uh, kind of, you know, being smart about it and saying, yeah. you know, this isn't going to work, so let's try something else. Sure. But I didn't do that because I was hard-headed and paid the price, you know, and my kids paid the price. So, yeah. And I'm sure that's heartbreaking, right? Because I've, I've had pieces I played in high school and same thing, brought it out, and it clearly was not a great choice. And I know my heart was just broken on it. Then I had to stand back. I'm like, well, it's, it's not the right it's not the right fit, you know? Right. So that's, at least that was my, and still continues to be my issue. I got to get past this. Right. Well, well, and you, and you bring up another good point, the right fit, Yeah. you know, as, as far as picking literature and, and it's funny, we just talked about this in uh, the uh, graduate conducting class yesterday. Um, you, you really have to um, select literature that, in my opinion, that fits the ensemble. And for example, if you have a great principal trumpet player, there's nothing wrong with picking a piece that has maybe an extended trumpet solo. Mm-hmm. It rewards him or her for working to become a great musician. It also, you know, helps the band sound better when you're, you know, you know, sort of quote unquote exploiting your strengths. Sure. Um, and, um, and you don't want to put, you know, like one of the pieces, um, that I played when I was in high school was Man in Veen, yeah. uh, which, um, has a very challenging clarinet part. Um, well, you wouldn't want to do that if you had, you know, ninth grade clarinet players that had only been playing for two or three years, sure. you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think it's important to really evaluate uh, the strengths and weaknesses of your ensemble and uh, and select music that sort of fits the ensemble in, in that regard. And do you have any suggestions of 
where to look for some of this literature beyond the, I think we all know about the teaching music through for, uh, through performance books, um, obviously Midwest clinics, state conventions. I didn't know if you had any maybe specific lists or, or people that you look to to right. gather new ideas. Well, I'll tell you, one person that I looked to uh, in the state of Florida was Joe Krinas. Uh, okay. Joseph Krinas is like a walking encyclopedia as far as literature. And he was one of those people that devoted his life basically to clinicking bands. Okay. I mean, from day one for me, that first year, you know, I had Joe Krinus in my band room. And and that's another thing is is to invite, you know, um, good teachers and good directors to come and, and work with your band. You know, and again, we sort of have to put the self-consciousness aside uh, because we're all improving. Yeah. I mean, you know, my band had its issues this past year, too. I mean, it's like we're all trying to get better. And um, and he just really uh, helped me select literature that that worked with my band. He has um, a, a book that he wrote and came out in the 90s um, called, uh, actually it's on my shelf, Selecting Literature, I think, or something, you know, it's by Joseph Krinas. It's, it's the only literature book that he, that he wrote. Um, but that, um, along with Tom Dvorak's book, uh, also, um, I, again, I don't know the exact title, but, uh, best high school band okay. literature, that, yeah, that sort of we, thing. And I can look yeah. up and link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. Too. And, uh, and the good thing about those books is it actually specifically tells you, well, you know, the trumpet trumpet range is this to this, uh, requires intelligent percussion, you know, um, I won't say anything more, but anyway, uh, so, but, but the point is it's, it's just, it gives you that, that information that you need in selecting literature. But the other way to know what would be good for your band to play is to listen to a lot of literature. You know, I have an extensive CD library. Sure. You know, I mean, I know CDs are sort of, you know, not used anymore, but, but I like to they still mail them out from the publisher. Yeah, that's, you there know. you go. You know, and I pop them in my car and so forth, but the more you listen, um, then the, the more you become familiar with the literature and, and, and really can sort of figure out, well, this will work or this won't work. So what are maybe some specific selections then with literature? Um, you know, as I, I said, hopefully this, this episode can give some people some, some new things. We, we know about the whole suites already. We know about, um, you know, a lot of those classics, Granger, you know, et cetera. Are there any maybe pieces that you can think of that were, Either lesser known or or maybe just pieces that you thought, you know, people should pay attention to. Well, as, as far as uh, and again, this was where Joe Krinas was really helpful because he he knew, you know, those those gems that that yeah. people may not not know about as much. Uh, but from from the easier standpoint, as far as uh, pieces that are a little more accessible, um, I did three English dances that was written in, in uh, 1973, uh, which and it was arranged by David Stone and uh, transcribed by John Boyd. Uh, three English dances, which basically had you know three movements uh, that were based on three different English melodies, uh, just really well written. Um, three completely different styles, and so that was kind of a good grade three piece. Um, I did a piece called Mandolin Landscapes by Philip Spark. Yeah, yeah. Um, a very beautifully lyric piece, and he wrote that in 2004, I believe. And um, and that was another one. Uh, Claire Grunman, you know, I mean, all of his music is is just great for the school band level. You know, the I, I don't want to say training piece because I, I I don't really use that, sure. but 
but it was it was great music to teach different styles, intonation, and and he just really knew how to uh, voice and orchestrate the band in a way that worked. Um, and a couple of his tunes that, you know, I mean, I think people know the American folk rhapsodies, mm. um, but a couple of my favorite tunes by that, that he wrote were uh, Welsh Rhapsody um, and, um, and, and Irish Rhapsody. Now, Irish Rhapsody is a little harder than Welsh Rhapsody, but both of those are really good. Um, a couple of other um, gems were Albert Oliver Davis um, compositions. Um, two that I did was uh, were from Shire and Sea which is also a three-movement work, and the Rhenish Folk Festival, which is also a three-movement work. I guess I'm into the sweets right now. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> um, but but all, all of those pieces, um, I, I think, are well-crafted and, and work well for the, uh, for the young band. Uh, as far as the, the more advanced, um, I'm a fan of, um, you know, David Gillingham, um, I've done a ton of Frank Tichelli's, you know, music at all levels, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, w- one of the pieces that I've done several times is um, H. Owen Reed's La Fiesta Mexicana. Yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, my favorite Nelly Bell piece is Tritico. And so, you know, I've, I've done that, Symphonic Movement. And um, so those are some of the more um, advanced pieces. One of the pieces I'm doing right now with the grad band is Scenes from the Louvre by Norman Delo Joyo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's a five-movement piece. Um, again, completely different um, styles in each piece. They're, they're based on uh, melodies written by Renaissance composers. But that's a piece that I haven't heard in a, in a while. And um, so, you know, those are just, you know, some of the, the, the pieces that I've done. I've, all these pieces I've, I've actually done with my bands over the years. And, um, and, and there are more, I mean, I, I mean, I can sit here, we can just do an entire sure, sure. you know podcast on just literature selection, but, uh, but there's a lot of good stuff out there, um, that, that is available to us, um, as, uh, wind band conductors. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the grad band, you know, how, how does your approach with, um, your high school groups, uh, change as, as you go to a graduate band here and essentially you are helping to train music teachers here, right? Which for me sounds absolutely horrifying. Um, it's just it, it's something that I would just be super stressed about, and <laughs> right. You know, but that's me. Yeah, you I know. mean, uh, honestly, I can't wait. It, yeah. It's like it's it's something. I feel like I've been training for this for thirty years. Okay, you know, and um, what I've been doing with the grad band. I mean, I mean, basically, the difference between uh, teaching my high school bands and teaching these band directors is. I'm doing a lot of the same things, but I'm also explaining why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. And I'm probing the ensemble, asking these band directors questions like, well, what did you notice? What did you hear? Did something get better? Did something get worse? You know, which I also do with my high school band. But with with these band directors, my goal is to make sure that they not only understand, but that they know how to apply what it is that I just did. Um, to their own ensembles sure. to improve their own ensembles. So basically, I've been doing a lot of the same thing: the breathing, the long tones, the buzzing, the you know, the lip slurs, the scales, all these things, articulation uh, exercises. 
um, to give them tools. I, I tell them they all have a toolbox and I want to try to fill it up, you know, with as much as I have to offer so that they can take it and, and you know, be better teachers, yeah. you know. And of course, in the process of doing that, uh, you know, as they uh, provide feedback to me, it helps me become a better teacher mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I am super excited okay. about doing this because, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a burden that I have um, to make sure that um, students that are coming out of college are truly prepared to teach. And, you know, I was talking to Tim Lausenheiser, you know, a couple of months ago. He said the national average now for band directors is four years and done, mm. you know, which is sad. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, when you graduate from college, the chance that you're going to get an all band gig is slim to none. You know, a lot of us, even me, I mean, I had to teach at two schools to have all band classes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of us are going to graduate and we're going to teach, you know, maybe three band classes, but then we're going to have that chorus class that we have to teach or, you know, that music stri- or something. Yeah, string class yeah, or, or yeah, whatever. Right. And that's the cool thing about Vandercook is one of the things that drew me here, you know, to teach is that, for example, Every student that comes here has to sing in the choir. Yeah. You know, it, it's a requirement. So they get that hands-on experience of singing all four years here, you know, and learning from uh, Dr. Sinclair, our, mm-hmm. our, our choral director, you know, th- the techniques that he uses. And so um, that's, uh, that's very exciting to me to, to be able to empower uh, not only future band directors, but current band directors to give them as much as possible so that they can take that and make their bands better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So then if we back up a little bit at the beginning of the episode, you said you were planning on six to eight more years and then Vandercook comes knocking, right? Right. So what was the, I guess, thought process with that? Here's something that, I mean, let's be honest, you probably never thought about this position until that came up. Did, did you ever think about teaching college even at all right well you know it's interesting because about 15 years ago the thought of teaching college sort of crossed my mind okay and i talked to my wife about it um and i just felt that my niche was teaching high school students you know and so i was like you know i i really feel like this is what i need to be doing and i'm glad i did you know because you know it worked out really well and uh you know i have a lot of kids that are in music they're teaching or they're playing professionally etc um, and I thought that that's where I was going to, uh, end up, didn't really have aspirations to teach at the college level. Um, one thing that I have been doing the last couple of years, um, because of this burden of, of helping train band directors is I've been doing clinics at our state conference, Okay, you know, and also there's a Florida band director workshop, um, that I, um, teach at, and it's a four day summer uh, workshop. Uh, you know, again, teaching these, these techniques, how do you teach breathing? How do you teach intonation? How do you teach clarity of the mm-hmm. you know, ensemble, etc.? And so, um, this is something I've been doing for the last two years. And the more I did that, uh, the more I started getting concerned that I wasn't able to, um, give the time that I needed or wanted to to my own program because I was sort of kind of trying to teach band directors but also teach my high school band and then lo and behold I get this email from Vandercook just saying uh, Mr. Kaminsky just want to make sure you know that uh, the, the position of director of bands at Vandercook is uh, is open, okay. and your name came across uh, the uh, our conversation through connections to the college, and you know just letting you know. And this was actually a week before they closed the applications. Um, 
So when I looked at the job description and I saw what it was, which essentially this school was set up as a band director training school. Mm-hmm. I looked at this and I showed it to my wife. I said, look at this job description. And and we looked at each other and we're, we're like, that's exactly what you've been doing, you know, yeah. at these clinics and conferences. And so, you know, fast forward and, um, uh, you know, here I am. Uh, and basically, I feel like, you know, the end of my 30 years, it's time now to give back and prepare teachers to do what I was able to do and hopefully more. Absolutely. And so, you know, that's sort of how it came about. So what are some things then, and you already got the job, right? And so as right. I, I, was, I was thinking about this, if, when you transition from high school to you know, college here, what are some things that you think that you're going to have to maybe, I don't know, shift course on a little bit or, or uh, focus on? And are, are you already said with the grad band, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's cool for you because I'm going to do what I did in my high school band. I'm going to explain it. But as an, you anticipate maybe this first year with undergrads, mm-hmm. you know, what, are, what are some goals that you have? Well, um, really, it's, it's twofold. Um, my first goal, you know, every musician, every aspiring teacher wants to be a good performer, you know? And so one of the things I want to do is continue to improve the level of performance of the Vandercook band, you know, um, and also get out into the schools and hopefully attract, uh, more of those students that know that they want to be a music educator, Sure, you know? Um, and so through that, uh, raise the, the level of performance here. And then, um, you know, secondly, one of the things about teaching teachers is that it causes me to be more self-reflective as far as what I did to teach, you know, because you get to a certain point that you just, I don't want to say you're on autopilot, but there are certain things that I'm in a routine and I do this, that, and the other, and, and it works. But now I really need to evaluate and assess, okay, I'm doing this and and know how to articulate that to these aspiring teachers so that they can then do it. Okay. And so that would be a little bit of a shift for me where I don't necessarily have to, um, you know, tell my high school kids, well, this is exactly why we're doing this. And, uh, you know, it gets the lips buzzing and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I would I would tell my high school kids to a certain point, but I'm really going to have to be more explicit with these um, these students at Vandercook so that they truly understand the value of every single thing that we do mm-hmm. uh, in rehearsal and that I'm teaching in the methods classes, methods of teaching classes, et cetera. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of close up here, um, I know one of the things I, I asked you ahead of time was about your committee work. Um, and I know you're on a couple of committees within the American Bandmasters Association, and I'm sure many other committees throughout your year, uh, your, your year's teaching. So, you know, my question would be what um, maybe some of those committees that you've worked on, you know, how they have helped music education and maybe your opinion also on um, professional development for music teachers. I know we all go to our professional development at the state level. And if we're lucky enough to either have travel arrangements to Midwest or live close by to it, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe your opinion on how music teachers can kind of continue being involved either with others or, um, you know, maybe with other music teachers or other people outside of music even to 
kind of you know form some connections get um professionally developed mm-hmm. if, you, if you would sure well i mean so there are ba- basically two questions there one, one is about the committee working sure, and, and then yeah. the other one is professional development yeah so let me work backwards absolutely um because you know we're all here this summer and your band right now is um playing for a mecca conducting Across class the street supervised yes. right yes they are being supervised uh so um but but anyway but that's that's a great way to um, get professional development, you know, so we have these band directors here. And for those of the listeners that don't know, Mecca is basically stands for the Music uh, Education Center of America. Um, and it's basically, you know, housed here at Vandercook. And so we have band directors doing that. We have our, our six week graduate program at Vandercook as well, where, you know, band directors can come and do their masters in three summers. I, I mean, I hate to sound like a Vandercook commercial. I was going to say, you already got it. <laughs> I know, I know. Plugging but, it here. But, but it's like I'm totally immersed into this. But, yeah, but you know, too. It's fine. right, right. There you go. But, but then you have the, uh, the AB, uh, ABC College, sure. which is another one. Con Selmer, you know, has uh, clinics that are fantastic. You know, so the, so the bottom line is, is I think over the summer is a great opportunity for for band directors to go to um, some of these workshops that are taking place or or classes that they can take to uh, further their skills whatever skills specifically that they want to improve upon so and that's also a great way to network uh, because there are great teachers at all of these places Um, and then, of course, during the, the school year, hopefully people can go to their state, you know, um, convention or mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but I mentioned before having band directors in your band room, you know, and I, I think in most places in the country, you know, there are directors within driving distance that are willing to come. I mean, I love going into my colleagues, you know, band rooms and, and I look forward to doing that here in uh, mm-hmm. the uh, Chicagoland area. Um, so I think the more that we can have contact with other colleagues, um, the better we become as, as teachers. So as far as professional development, that's kind of, you know, my, my thought on that. As far as the committees, pretty much all the committees that I've been involved with over my career, uh, are geared toward the objective of, uh, improving music education in some way, shape or form. So right now, uh, I'm on two committees uh, in the American Bandmasters Association. Um, one is the Sousa Oswald uh, Award Committee, which basically is a composition award mm. uh, that's given. And the reason I like that is because it encourages composers to compose new literature for the wind okay. band medium. You know, and again, that's our curriculum. So trying to get good music. Uh, into the repertoire, I think is is paramount, and so you know, just like the Ravelli contest and 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 others. Um, so, and I love listening to new literature. You know, it's like like I said, I'm a literature junkie. Yeah. yeah. Um, another committee uh, that I've been on is the um, uh, the school band uh, task force. Okay. Which is uh, chaired by Roy Holder who's a veteran, you know, like he, you know, he's retired, but he's a veteran uh, band director, highly successful um, in Virginia. And um, uh, the, the topics that we cover are sometimes sensitive topics, like the last 
uh, topic that that we discussed and did some research on is the use of electronics in the marching arena. Okay. Okay. And and, and after so, the fist fights got over, right? And then the blood, you know, um, and so you know, and that that's that's a hot topic mm-hmm. right now, you know, especially you know, and I'm a drum corps fan, you know, yeah. or or have been, <laughs> I you know, I I I I'm I'm a little bit old school, but sure. uh, but I understand everything evolves, etc. Um, but we talked about miking and, and about miking soloists, miking, you know, sections, the band and, and the ethics and or not of doing these things and how it affects the acoustical properties of the instruments. And is that truly an assessment of the students that are playing? Mm-hmm. Like when when the when the sound is is um, I don't want to say tampered with, but. But tampered with, okay. uh, <laughs> when uh, you, you know, and and enhanced in in certain ways that may not be a true representation of how the band truly sounds. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so my point is that these are the types of topics that we research to try to provide some guidance um, to our you know colleagues and professionals um, in in the ABA uh, as a, a leading organization. In Florida, um, I was involved in many um, uh, committees, and one of them in particular was called the Music Performance Assessment Committee, which is basically uh, uh, talks about evaluation. One of the things that I did when I was on that committee is we revamped the adjudication sheets. Um, At that point, I think it was 2013, there wasn't a rubric uh, that was used when uh, judges used that judges sheet. Mm. And so um, on that committee, I sort of um, came up with a, a rubric okay. uh, for the different categories, um, you know, to really give a little more focus to the judges and to directors because, the, the dire- you know, the band directors can look at the rubric and and look and see, okay, is my band consistently playing with correct articulation, you know, consistently playing with good tone quality, et cetera. So... Um, so your involvement has kind of shifted. Would you say it shifted your your uh, what do I want to say perspective? Sometimes not on not only bands but your own teaching. I'm assuming when you're you know sitting in here with all these other committee members and trying to go towards oh absolutely you know, common goal. Because really, when you sit on any of these committees, you have to sort of do your own litmus test for okay. yourself. It, you know, I, I have to kind of determine okay, well, where do I stand on this, yeah. and. Um, and then from that point, um, you know, you, you have to be grounded and then you put your opinion forward and, and you have to be able to substantiate what you're saying, you know, uh, well, why should we do this or why should we not do this? Um, so it, all these things just make me a better teacher just because, again, I'm evaluating myself and and what I'm doing, what I'm thinking with regard to teaching. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, I appreciate your time today and and sitting down uh, with me. I'm sure you're going to get many, many calls from... I Chicago land friends and, yep. and myself as well. Sure, but uh, I certainly wish you luck with this this new chapter in your life here at Vandercook College of Music. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, thanks for everything that you've offered here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. 